Well, we are continuing in our series in First Peter for three weeks. We have been immersed in Peter's what is a doxology, his hymn of praise for the great salvation that he and his readers have experienced through the gospel. But Peter, Peter's not done yet with his doxology he, that he began in, in verse 3 of this chapter, of chapter 1. He, he does this, he, he continues on with his doxology, his praise of God, because he's well aware that life batters belief, that, that the difficulties and the hostilities that we can face as Christians, the challenges we can face... We are a small church. We, we don't have a building right now. Lord willing, maybe one day, but we don't have a building right now. And so we're, we're moving from, from one place to another. We, we can't meet in the place we normally meet it, and we're meeting on a summer day. You know, and thankfully, it's not 95 degrees out. It's only 85 degrees out. And you know, we, we, we do. We, we face things that can batter our, our faith, and it can undermine, and it can create doubt, and it can create fear in us. And Peter, Peter wants to ensure these believers, he wants to ensure the readers, which is us, that, that we, are, we are born again to a living hope, that, that our hope isn't in a, a cool building, our hope isn't in um, having, having great wealth or wonderful relationships, our, our living hope is in a Savior. Our living hope is in, is in Christ. And so as, as Peter has gone through this wonderful doxology, this wonderful praise, he began in verse 3, he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. So he describes the mercy of God that, that brought us to a living hope, that, that brought us to being born again as, as great mercy. And great mercy is what we need. Great mercy is what we were in need of because of our sin. And, and Peter, just in his doxology and his praise, he, he says he has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he goes on to describe what, what God has provided for us and what God has planned for us, that we are, we are born again to an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. And so God has this, this inheritance waiting for you in heaven. But he goes on to even say, but until then, you are being guarded by God's power through the faith that you express towards God for a salvation that is going to be completed, that you are, you are born again, you are saved, but salvation Salvation has a fullness, a fullness that we have yet to realize in this life on this earth. You are, you are not right now in this heat experience the fullness of your salvation. Let's, let's, be, let's be clear. Um, that's okay because there is a day that you are being guarded for through the faith you have in God for a salvation that is to come. And, and in that time, in that time until that, that day comes when we do stand before the Lord, when we are in heaven and we are experiencing that, that inheritance, we're experiencing the fullness of salvation, our faith is tested. It's tested to prove whether or not it's, it's genuine. And so, and, and God says that when your faith is tested, it results in praise and honor and glory. And it is God's praise towards you. It is God's honor towards you. It is God's glory towards you, sharing in Christ's glory for the faith, the genuine faith that you've expressed. And so, so this is all that Peter's leading to it. And, and in these, those, first, those first verses, he is extolling 
our salvation. He's extolling what God has done for us. But, but he, doesn't, he doesn't stop there. In, in verse 10, he goes on. And that's what we're going to be studying this morning. The, he, he wants this hymn of praise that he's sharing to be our hymn of praise to be his readers' hymn of praise. He tells his brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in Asia Minor, who are suffering under hostility, he's telling them, God, God has given you this great salvation in Christ. And so now in these next few verses, he's saying, now let me tell you how he did it as an amazing display of his love. So it's not just what he is going to do for you, but now he wants to, to extol how God brought all of this about so that you you can, with, with joy, in the midst of hostile persecution and trial, you can, with joy and faith in your heart, you can praise God. That's what he's after, that you can praise God regardless of the circumstances. And he wants these words to, to strengthen these believers and to strengthen us in our affliction and to inspire us so that even in affliction, the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as he will extol in these last verses, the Holy Spirit can, can use us to continue to proclaim the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ to this hostile world, regardless of whether or not they want to hear it or they receive it. So these, these, these friends of Peter, they're no longer living the quiet Christian life that used to, but, but one of suffering for the difficulty of following Christ. And, and so he is, he's extolling these wonderful virtues of what God has done, and, and he writes to them to encourage them to remember you have been born again to a living hope. Don't forget what happened. 1967, I was 12 years old, and I had been wanting what back then was called a Schwinn Stingray bike. A Stingray bike had handlebars that came up high, it had a banana seat, and you could do all amount of wheelies with it. It was the greatest bike ever invented. And I, and I wanted one badly, and I talked to my parents about it, and it was like, yeah, no, no, we're not getting you a sting, you're, you, you know. And it wasn't about, I'm going to kill myself by falling over or doing a wheelie. It wasn't, you know, no, no, no. Back then, we didn't wear helmets, and, you know, we played dodgeball, and um, <laughs> I wanted this Stingray bike. And one day, I was coming home. Um, you know, I, I'm, I was raised in a Jewish home, and in preparation for my bar mitzvah when I was 13, which would be a year later, I had to go to Hebrew school. I had to go to learn Hebrew, which I don't remember one word, um, and I had to be preparing for my bar mitzvah, and I had to do it twice a week and then once, and then on Saturday mornings. Now, how many kids, when they're 12 years old, want to be in school on Saturday morning? And so I, I, I was on my way home, walking home from my class, and uh, I remember walking in the front door, and my dad looks at me and says, come on, we're going to go get the Stingray bike. Talk about the greatest moment in a 12-year-old's life. Now, that took place 52 years ago, and I still remember it vividly. I remember, I remember the bike. It was, it was purple with a banana seat. It had kind of like, like sparkles in it. You know, it, it, was, it was manly. It had, it had high handlebars. And it had, it had a, um, 
you know, I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it had it all. And this, this was the bike of bikes, and, uh, and I still remember it, and, and that's just a bike. How do you remember your salvation? What do you remember about that day? What do you remember about that moment? That's what, that's what Peter is after here. How, how well do you remember the details of your conversion? Now, fast forward from the first century to, to our day, and, and these words are as relevant and meaningful to us as they were 2,000 years ago. Read with me in, in chapter 1, verse, verse 10. Peter writes, and he's looking back at verse 9, he says, concerning this salvation, this living hope, this born again, this inheritance, this one day to be complete, this being kept in heaven for you, this being guarded. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating where he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Oh, Father, these are your words. And they are words that remind us of the most glorious day in our lives. The day that we came to faith in Christ because of your sovereign grace. Oh Lord, may, may these words stir our memories and stir our hearts to extol and praise your name as Peter does. Lord, may you be glorified in all that we are saying this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Ooh, can you feel it? The air conditioning. <laughs> I thought it was the spirit at first, but it was the air conditioning. (laughs) In these verses, Peter is bringing to a climactic close his doxology, his his praise, as he puts on display the truths of, of what God has done and wanting to restore in us, in a sense, the gratitude we had at first when we were saved. The gratitude of what God has, has done for us. And, and, and doing so, so that we can, as believers in a hostile world, press on being faithful to live holy lives that we might display the wonderful glories and truths of the gospel. That, that our, our salvation isn't just for us alone, but it's for a world that we live in, a world that, that is hostile, but that is also perishing. And so Peter, Peter writes these words, and here's, here's what he wants to say to us this morning. And, and here's simply the main idea. God has done all this for you. God has done all all this for you. And then, and then, and Peter describes what all this is in these verses. And three, three points this morning, for your sake, the first one is, for your sake, God sent the prophets to reveal his great salvation. For you, for your sake, 
God sent the prophets to reveal his great salvation. Look with me in in verse 10. Again, the link between verse 10 is with verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, verse 9, the salvation of your souls. Now Peter goes on to say, now concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. The prophets prophesied. God sent prophets. He sent prophets. The salvation that these believers now experience, which will be consummated one day in the future, was also prophesied in the past. It was prophesied. All the believers in in this writing, all the believers that Peter is writing to, are experiencing, as you are, the fulfillment of these men's prophecies. They prophesied, a Messiah is coming. A Savior is coming. A great salvation is coming. And they prophesied so that people would look to the coming Messiah. And Peter is writing to them saying, listen, all all these men did, all these prophets did. You are the fulfillment of those prophecies. Sitting here this morning, you are the fulfillment of these prophecies that a Savior is coming. That a Savior came now. And you have experienced and received His great salvation. We, we enjoy the privilege of living in the days when the history of salvation has been fulfilled. The Old Testament prophets prophesied, and, and Peter writes here, the prophets who prophesied about the grace, the grace of the gospel, the grace of salvation, the grace that was to come has been fulfilled. And it's been fulfilled in you. Here, here is salvation is, is grace. And Peter's main point is that throughout history, believers in Jesus Christ are incredibly blessed to live in a time when the predictions of these prophets have come to pass. Think about if, if you were living before Christ's coming, all you'd hear about were predictions. Someone's coming. A great salvation is coming, a Messiah, a Savior. But you wouldn't know anything about him. You wouldn't know what he looks like. You wouldn't know his name. You wouldn't know when he was coming. You wouldn't know where he's coming. You would know nothing about him. All you would know is this this prophecy, this promise that God would give in Scripture. Oh, someone's coming, Psalm 22. Someone's coming, but, but who is it? And you don't live in that time now. You know who he is. And you've experienced his great salvation. But here's what the prophets experienced. They prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And what they did was they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So here is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is dwelling in these men. They are prophesying about the Savior to come, and they don't know who he is. And they don't know when he's coming. And they don't know where he's coming. And they are searching, and they are inquiring carefully into the Old Testament scriptures to figure it all out. And God does not reveal it to them. Imagine being one of those prophets. You get all this information just enough but not enough.
And then he goes on. He said, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so here is this suffering servant, this suffering Christ, and the glories that are to come. And again, they don't know. It was revealed to them, it was revealed to these prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you. God revealed to them that their prophecies would not be realized in their day. Their, their ministry was not ultimately directed to themselves or to their generation, but to Peter's brothers and sisters in Christ, to the readers, and to you. That they were serving you. That these men, and God, God sent these men to serve you. God sent these men for your sake. That you would, you would experience the fullness of Christ's coming. God sent these men to you. The great desire of these prophets was that the prophecies, that the prophecies they spoke of that would be fulfilled and come to pass in their day, but, but it wouldn't. But, but they learned, they learned, okay, I, I'm doing it for you, and, and we're not going to know about it until we're on the other side of death. That's the servant's heart that these men had. That's the sacrifice that these men had. The Old Testament prophets desperately wanted to see the fulfillment of the coming Christ. They, they wanted to see their prophecies come to pass. They wanted to be a part. And, and they, they longed, they longed to see what was in the gospel. They longed to understand the mystery of the gospel, a mystery that you understand. They wanted to understand it all. And what they, what they wanted is they wanted, a, they wanted a king. A king who would come and who would conquer and would free them from the oppression. They didn't quite understand what kind of king. But that's what they wanted. And they would not see it happen in their day. It would be a salvation that they would not see. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in them spoke, spoke for you. Now, they, they did have a little bit of understanding they knew that their prophecies were about God's saving grace. They knew the Savior was coming. They, they knew that he must suffer before he was glorified. They knew they were serving future generations. They knew their words came from the Holy Spirit. But that's all they knew. That's all they knew. But they came. They spoke. They suffered. Prophets did not have easy lives. And they did it for you. The most they would ever know is what they predicted. Suffering and glory were necessary for the coming Messiah to secure the promised salvation. That's all they knew. These men, these men, these men out of obedience to God spoke words that they suffered for. So you would be here this morning. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Now, how amazing is that? They knew God had given them this task, even though they suffered for it. And it should be deeply humbling to us. It should humble us that these men did this regardless of the cost. 
Look at, look at what it costs for your salvation. It costs God his only son. It costs Jesus his own life. It costs the prophets much suffering and grief. But because they had the spirit of Christ in them, the Holy Spirit, they endured the same spirit that dwells in us, that we to this, in this day might endure. So that's the first thing. For your sake, God sent the prophets to reveal his great salvation. Secondly, for your sake, God sent preachers to proclaim his great salvation. Back in, in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that thou have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Peter, Peter wants his readers to know that God in his mercy sent more than prophets. He sent preachers. He sent ordinary men and women, preachers who would unveil the mystery of the gospel in a way that prophets never could. And by sending preachers empowered by the Holy Spirit, he unveils this wonderful mystery of the gospel, this great mystery these, of salvation. These preachers, which are ordinary people, proclaim the unmeasurable riches of God's grace to those who do not believe. They, they proclaim Christ died for your sins. They proclaim he has taken your judgment upon himself. They proclaim that he has paid the penalty of your sin and, and satisfied the debt before God. They, they, they preach that God will be reconciled with you when you come to faith in Christ. They preach that Christ rose from the dead, that you might come to newness of life. That's what these preachers preached. And they did it by the Holy Spirit. And they too suffered. They too endured hostility. We only have to look back to Stephen in Acts 7. We look further ahead. Peter, just a year or two from the writing of this letter, is crucified by Caesar Nero. And Paul, just at the same time, pretty much is drawn and quartered and burned for sharing the gospel, for being the preachers who proclaim the truth. God sent these men, God sent women our way, your way to proclaim the truth. For your sake, he sent prophets, and for your sake, he sent preachers. Peter's readers should be overjoyed and blessed at the memory that others came to witness to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. These evangelists, men and women, they were faithful simply to tell the gospel story to those around them. They were, they were faithful. God used not just prophets, but he used, he used ordinary people. Who did he use in your life? What do you remember about that day? All that the prophets prophesied came true in you because the preachers who God sent by the Spirit spoke the word of God, and you heard. Peter is closing this doxology by making sure these men and women who are reading this letter and those who will, in the, the centuries to come, who read this letter, they remember. They remember with, with great joy and thankfulness those God sent for their sake. 
That's what Peter is doing here. People who, and, and, and I mean, Peter, he goes on to, to glorify God. He said, it was revealed to them in that day that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Look what God is after. God is the one who, who is sending the Holy Spirit that you and I might hear the word of the truth of God, the good news of the gospel, that we might come to saving faith, that we might fulfill the prophecies that these prophets spoke in years past, that for our sake we might be able to enjoy having a living hope, being born again, having an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept in heaven for us. And that same spirit that sent these individuals to preach the good news is the same spirit that dwells in us, that sends us to preach the good news. Brothers and sisters, we don't exist just for ourselves. We don't exist in this church just to enjoy the fullness of our salvation among ourselves, but to go and, and explain to others the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, yes, to help you grow in your, in your, in your sanctification, to help you live lives that, that glorify God, holy lives, but the gospel is incomplete if it's only just for us. No, the gospel is for what's out there as well. For your sake, he sent prophets proclaim his great salvation for your sake. He sent preachers to proclaim his great salvation. And on your behalf, he has angels celebrate your great salvation. That's the third point. He, he ends with a really interesting verse. In verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then he says this, things which angels long to look. Boy, when I first read that, that threw me. I thought, okay, now how do I, how do I, what do I do with that? Well, here's another intriguing aspect of your conversion. Angels take great interest in your salvation. Great interest. Things into which angels long to look. The great, the great and glorious realities, the immeasurable riches of God's grace in our salvation that perplex the prophets and stirred preachers to preach the good news, it amazes the angels of God. It amazes them. Here they are dwelling in heaven and they're, they're longing to look like they're, they're peering over. Wow, he got saved. Him. <laughs> These angels long to look closely at 
what's happening and they're, they're in a sense, trying to comprehend what's taking place. And, and they too, like the prophets, are yearning to understand. They have a great curiosity and a great delight in watching God's saving plan in our lives as we enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus, Jesus was, was saying to, to the, listening to those around him, he said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Matthew, Matthew 13. They, Jesus understood there were prophets, there were, there were men of old who longed to see what, what the disciples were seeing, what these folks were seeing, what you see today. And the angels are the same way. The angels in First Peter are, are literally pictured here watching the unfolding drama of human redemption to understand it more fully. What, what is happening, they are asking. They don't understand it completely because it's outside of their own experience. They did not need salvation. They did not need to express faith. They would never need to or have the need for salvation. And so, so they're, they're just wondering, what, what is this exactly? What they do understand is that God's saving grace is something wonderful and something to be greatly celebrated. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Luke, Luke 15. This is verse 7. Just so I tell you, Jesus is speaking, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in verse 10, just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Imagine, Peter is turning their attention that one sinner, you, created this celebration in heaven. That these angels who long to look took the greatest joy in the day that you were born again to a living hope. Now, I find that amazing. They, they look on with intense interest to, to know that we struggling believers are recipients of God's greatest blessing and we're participant, participants in God's divine drama to redeem humanity from judgment and death. Our, our lives are of interest to, to angels who, who the writer of Hebrews told us that we might entertain angels among us without knowing it. He says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So if you are an angel with us this morning, you are welcome here, and uh, feel free to stay for pizza. Um, we're glad you've come. This, this, is, this is Peter's doxology. This is the close of his, look, remember your salvation. Prophets longed to understand. Preachers came to tell you by the Holy Spirit what God could do if you would believe. And angels longed as well to understand and to look and to celebrate your salvation. 
It should tell you how great our need was for the gospel. That prophets had to come, sent by the Spirit. That preachers had to come, sent from heaven by God. And that angels look at and celebrate because one sinner repents. That's how great our salvation is. These three verses finish Peter's very heartfelt thanksgiving for our great salvation. He is, he is awed by how rich and how deep it is. He, is. he is awed in the midst of the suffering he knows these people are going through and that we will go through. He wants them to remember that the main thing in the midst of all that you are facing in this life and this world, the main thing is you are born again to a living hope that you have experienced God's great salvation. Twelve opening verses that speak of the greatest gift in human history. A gift that we are privileged to to enjoy. Now, as Peter closes his doxology, his, his point is this. This is how much God cares for you. This is all for you. This is all for you. This is how much God cares for you. This amazing love. Ancient prophets, itinerant preachers, exalted angels stood for ages in service to this great salvation that has come to us. The fullness, the fullness of your salvation has been the joyful business of God's servants throughout centuries. It was the joyful business of prophets and preachers and angels to participate and gaze upon the beauty of your salvation, to gaze upon the glory of the day that you would trust Christ. It was their business. Is this your joyful business? Is living for Christ and sharing the gospel of Christ, your joyful business. It should be. It should be. And as we, as we dive into 1 Peter next week and going to verse 13, and we begin to see, okay, now Peter is done with the indicatives. He's done with, with telling us all the glories of heaven and the goodness of God in our salvation. Now he moves on to, okay, how do we respond? How do we live? We live holy lives. We live holy lives that display the glory of God, that display the goodness of God, that display the genuine saving work of God in our lives and display what we are called to, which is to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Is that your joyful business? Listen, brothers and sisters, our prayers and our praise and our words and our pursuit of a holy life They all speak to the saving grace of God. Every bit of it. It may be a grace that this hostile world rejects, but it is a grace they need to hear. And it is a grace that we are living for and grateful of. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words that remind us of the wonderful grace of God.
Now, I'm closing with actually the pastoral prayer this morning is a passage. And I want you to listen carefully to Paul's, this is Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. He goes and he leads into his prayer this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for, toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know Brothers and sisters, this is our prayer, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him as his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh, may your hearts be enlightened to these truths. Amen.